0: The Museum of South Texas History preserves and presents the borderline heritage of South Texas and Northeastern Mexico by telling the stories from the Rio Grande. Welcome to Stories from the Rio Grande. I am Pamela Morales, the communications officer for the Museum of South Texas History. I sat down with former Rio Grande City Mayor Ruben Villarreal the son of Basilio Diarial, who became the first mayor of Rio Grande City after the town was reincorporated in the 1990s. And for those of you who might not know, Rio Grande City is a border city. So Ruben shared fond memories of this bicultural and border city and how his father's values of hard work, family, and community service inspired him to pursue a career in public service. Here's Ruben. Hello, and welcome to Stories from the Rio Grande, and I'm Pamela Morales, and I'm here with...
1: I am Ruben Oviarreal, former mayor of Rio Grande City, former resident of Rio Grande City, now living in Edinburgh, Texas, and working
0: out of McAllen. Before we talk about your political life, um, I wanted to know a little bit more about you that way our listeners can know more about who you are and your family, of course, and things like that. Who were your parents? And do you have any siblings? And could you maybe give a little bit of a insight of your childhood and maybe any fond memories?
1: Let me tell you that I am the youngest of, of five brothers and sisters. My father's Basilio Villarreal from Rio Grande City, originally from Zapata, actually from Cruz Romero, Mexico. Uh, my mother is born and raised here in, in the Rio Grande Valley. She also spent some time in San Antonio. We've lived in Rio Grande City there as a family. My mom's 93 years old and still there. We've been there for probably 70-something years by now. Of the family, my brother and myself, Basilio is also his name, and myself became the the political ones. And we both had different, strangely, we were were brothers, but we both had very different routes that we took to public service. And far as education is concerned, I'm very proud of the fact of my education I am a product of the public schools in Rio Grande City. I am a product of Pan American University here in Edinburgh, Texas. I graduated there in 1986, so anything you hear me say or do, or if you've read anything about me, you got to think Pan Am a little bit too, and I'm very proud of that fact. And as far as my upbringing, fond memories, I want to tell you right now with all the, the talk about immigration and about the river and about a border wall that's actually a fence, my fondest memories probably have to do with the actual river. I've, I've grown to particular closeness to it because now the river that i once knew is gone if you grew up anywhere along the border here in rio grande Grande valley and i mean along the border edinburgh mccann are a little detached but if you grew up in like for example roma rio grande city brownsville you know hidalgo texas places where a port of entry was a river runs through you it's not just a river that's a boundary but it's a river that runs through you in a very different ways because the first time I ever jumped in the water to learn how to swim it was in the river and the first time I went hunting was along the river so uh, the fact that the river is a border and it's become you know a topic of big news it runs in our bloodstream and I'm very proud of that fact as well.
0: The first time I actually heard about you was in the primary election for a U.S. representative uh, District 15, and Vicente Gonzalez was the one who won that seat. Mm -hmm. But I saw you at that forum, and I was kind of surprised. Well, yes, somewhat surprised, but also not, because the assumption that I grew up with was that Star County is full of Republicans. Really? Well, I mean, I don't that's that's my my assumption. I, I, I mean what that, do you that's do? actually
1: the opposite is actually true the i I probably can count the Republicans who call themselves Republicans out of Stark County in one hand. The rest may be, but they hide behind the bushes or under under the bed. They don't want to be known as Republicans. They uh, call themselves registered Democrats and the simple fact that matters you register nowhere my track to becoming a republican has a lot to do with business a lot to do with constitution a lot to do with small government my father was extremely successful in business and in all his ventures and i want to say that when i was growing up my my father was republican and he didn't have to wear a, a word on his sleeve he just made it apparent through his fi- financial contributions to president's. I don't mind people telling this story, but there used to be this wall in his office in our house and it had pictures of Richard Nixon and Gerald Ford and Ronald Reagan and Republicans that he would back then sign a check, put it in an envelope, lick the envelope, lick the stamp, send it off, and they would send him this eight by ten glossies, thank you for your contribution to our cause, Mr. Villarreal, and my father would put him on his wall. And I would see him uh, on the wall. I want to tell you the probably the last one I remember during his lifetime was probably Ronald Reagan. In a funny sort of way, you always say, I'm not going to become my parent. I'm not going to become my dad. So yeah, you know what? I I wanted to be cutting edge, and I wanted to be more on the side of exploring political beliefs and structure. I call myself an independent, which many, many, many people actually do. But I will tell you that my father and probably a small handful of other People that I know for a fact call themselves Republicans. The rest of them, oh my God, I you know are all Democrats. That Stark County is historically blue, and the fact that a uh, Republican came out of there, I still get the questions once in a while that say, "You're from Stark County and you're Republican."
0: And the other thing that I noticed about Real Grand City, I've actually gone a couple of times to the... Uh, <laughs> Where did you
1: go? Where did you go? I,
0: I, I've I made it an effort to go every year to the 16 de septiembre celebration that y'all have over there. The thing that, that really stood out was the strong relationship between not Camargo, but Miguel... Yeah, no Miguel.
1: Camargo, Miguel man. Yeah. That's Roma.
0: Yes. Yeah. In this celebration is having the schools and the officials from those cities come over to Rio grand city and kind of highlight the relationship
1: yeah but also you're talking of, it's called the abrazo ceremony mm-hmm. uh it was it was a that's a, actually you're right that's a very long tradition that was done uh my father has pictures on his wall where he was a young man and he would walk across the bridge and you would meet halfway across the bridge and and exchange pleasantries and and commit to each other's prosperity in, in a very serious and, and, and emotional way. The thing about people forget about border communities that have a community across the border, you're, you're not, you may be divided by a border, but back then, because business used to be ha, uh, had on this side and on that side, because we would go shop over there, they would shop over here. So having those strong communications were great for international trade. That's changed somewhat. But uh, those traditions still exist. They still have the Abrazo. You still meet halfway along the river, and you express to your counterparts in Mexico how much you appreciate them and how much you look forward to future business and future relations with them.
0: And that's one thing that, you know, at the museum, we try to highlight and and try to tell in our, you know, in our exhibits, just that we here on the American side also depend on the Mexican side and the Mexican we side. always depends. will,
1: Pamela. Yes. We always, this thing about, you know, some people, I have my own reasons for my own discussions, my own talking points about the border fence. Uh, you know, they're based on something different, but some people's apprehension And disregard for having a fence has to do with that spiritual connection that you have to your neighboring community. It was nurtured for so many decades, and it was passed on from father to son and from daughter to mother to make sure that your neighbors across in Mexico were close-kin to you because you had an existence that was tied not just by uh, last names or by language because hablo espanol. But it was tied by a need to make sure that commerce was was important to both parts and the relationships of family. Many people still have a family in Mexico. So uh, those barriers that people want to construct now uh, still find opposition because it, it's it, it's an emotional and a spiritual connection that will be terminated the minute that wall goes up.
0: You mentioned that your family has been in Rio Grande City for 70-plus years, and your father built that relationship doing the abrazo and all of that. The other thing that I did while doing my research was find that your family owns, still owns, um, I believe, Grande Butane?
1: That is correct. Grande Butane has been around since 1958. In Rio Grande City, it might be either the first or second oldest Small business that still exists, owned by the original family. Everybody else has, you know, passed on, and businesses have, you know, shut down. Right now, Grandy Butane Company Incorporated is run by my brother Basilio, who still runs that operation uh, daily. But my father started in 1958, and yes, it's still around, and it still serves the public of Stark County. It's been a lot of years. Again, I did that myself in in that framework of business for 26 years. So I learned the family business also, and uh, getting into politics was, was, let me put it this way, it became a a family tradition. It wasn't always that way. Business always was a family tradition, small business and entrepreneurship, but politics wasn't always a philosophy that was that ran deep in our family. In fact, it was probably the opposite for a very long time.
0: When did you realize that your father's politics, or I guess, you know, when did you realize that, because like you said, politics wasn't in your DNA, or so you thought. So do you think your father's politics influenced that subconsciously?
1: I think it always was in our DNA when I said before that my father would, and maybe I didn't mention it, but in the beginning, early in his career, when he was building his business, he discouraged us from getting involved in politics. I never thought about it. I think my brother thought about it more than I did, and he thought about it too, but he discouraged it because it's bad for business. It's bad for business it's bad for business because, you know, if you're a small business person in a small community like Rio Grande City and you run for politics, you're going to have it. You're going to have political enemies and it's not good for business. So that changed. Like I said, around 1993, my dad was probably in his 60s and his perspective changed. He was very grateful. My, fa- my father wasn't a citizen of the United States of America. He came here and became a citizen around 1948, I believe. And I w- I didn't realize that till I was an adult that he wasn't born here It never occurred to me because he had such a passion for this country because he always said that this country made him who he was and gave him the opportunity to succeed so when he was about in his 60s and in 1993 when they were talking about running for finding a, ma- a mayor for Bergen City after not being a, a city for I think since 33 during the during the depression my father threw his hand in the ring, literally, because we all, I mean, I wear a hat. My dad wore hats. And my brother and I were were shocked. We, you know, we were like, are you sure you're going to do this? And he was like, yeah, I'm going to do this. You know, yo soy lo que estoy haciendo. Este pueblo me sirvió bastante. Me hizo, me dio la oportunidad. Ahora hay que pagar la deuda. His mind, it was, he was paying back the debt. That the community had allowed him, because all of us, grew. we had five brothers and sisters. One of my sisters passed back for cancer, but we all graduated with with college degrees, and that was my father's dream, and he attributed the fact that a small business in Rio Grande City gave his kids the opportunity to graduate from college. So he was very grateful. And in 1993, he threw his head in the ring for mayor of Rio Grande City, of the newly incorporated Rio Grande City. And to make a long story short, he was successful in a runoff and he became Rio Grande City's very first mayor in modern times in 1993. And that's the original mayor, Basilio Villarreal, mayor Villarreal, that uh, started it all.
0: So real grand city was incorporated before 1933 so did the depression sort of uh, really take a hit in real Grande city oh no city? of
1: course uh it was a city during the 20s and in i believe 1933 if i remember my history correctly they they went belly up during the depression um it's a classic case of of living within your means and spending the money you have and that's one thing that i will tell you that my brother myself and my father brought to politics was a business model where you operate within the realms of the money you have to spend. You don't uh, assume that more money is going to come in. You don't assume that uh, you can afford something when you can't. Money numbers don't lie. So that's the way that we conducted our political uh, uh, dealings in uh, political dealings within the structure of government, having to do everything with business. So when my father ran and he was successful he brought in his business model that worked very, very effectively and he was very successful. I mean, he you know, created a, a police department and he started the structure of, of uh, the city. And when he finally retired from politics and, and life, if you will, he left the city with, I think back then was maybe over one and a half million dollars, which was back then was a lot of money. It's still a lot of money now, but it was more back then. So he was successful. With just anything that he applied his 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 efforts to, and within that the time, I guess, let me fast forward a little bit. But my brother decided to run for school board uh, right after my father. My father kind of opened that door, and my brother became the school a school board member. And he was a school board member for about 20 years. He uh, thought he'd retired, and then he decided to come back eh, about. Uh, three years ago he he ran again and I think he was unsuccessful but he just became another a school board member again last year so he's still in the political structure myself as far as my my political uh you know uh, experiences and road it did lead me to being mayor but I also I ran for congress in 2015 and I was uh, a memorable moment that I will always cherish because it didn't just deal with the Rio Grande Valley. It dealt with places like Cibolo and and Shirts and Seguin. And uh, I did a lot of campaigning in Central Texas and I made dear friends in, in that area.
0: Clarify because you mentioned that um, the city was in reincorporated in 1993 and then your father won um, and became mayor um, I had when I did my research it said that he passed away in 1996
1: that's correct my father was the mayor uh, the Okay, there's something called type A General Law. When you uh, create a city, you have aldermen. You don't have a city councilmen, you don't have commissioners. For that, and I'm gonna get real technical, but you need to create a, a city charter. So my father was first mayor. Um, my father was so determined to be successful in the city. And like a lot of very traditionally old, older gentlemen of the time, he didn't believe very much in doctors. He uh, actually had colon cancer. He knew probably for a year and some change that he had a condition. He just refused to go to a doctor, and by the time we, my brother and I, took him to go see medical help, it was uh, he he had, had metastasized into other parts of his body, and uh, that was that was his uh, that was his exit to heaven. And uh, I don't think he would have had it any other way. He. Was so caught up and i remember when we were dra- my brother had him on one arm and i had him another arm and he was like but i had things to do and uh he kept that philosophy for his entire life he never retired he just didn't have that in him and as i'm getting older i don't think i'll ever retire either but yes he passed uh from cancer and like i mentioned before also i've been very my family been touched by cancer in several ways my my sister uh passed from cancer also she was 37 38 i think and i was like 36 or something like that so uh, those type of, of, of uh, experiences do change you if you're a close family like we were, and uh, they make you strive harder and strive further and look for more opportunity, and and to some extent, you know, I, I do want to say that when I ran for Congress, I I did have them in the back of my mind because we only live once, and if you leave anything undone, you know, you you will have regrets, and I have none.
0: So your father passed in 96, and then you. When did you um, start getting really involved? Was it after that? Um, was it a few years? The
1: the trek to my experiences at, in in government started really, I became a, a volunteer in the community, and my dad was that too. My dad was a passion, a very passionate Lions uh, Club member. He believed in community, and he believed in community organizations. And again, I saw that in him, and the more that I, I think back, the more I, I realized that, our lives mirrored each other because I became a volunteer in the community and I organized everything from Christmas parades to to barbecues for people that were ill. Uh, we had the first uh, uh, Feast of Sharing in Stark County was done on, on, in a group that I worked with. We did you know, scholarship golf tournaments through the Rio Grande City JC, so I just started doing a lot of volunteer work. and, and if I told you that, that philosophically, I had all these thoughts of being in politics, the reason I ran for politics was because when I got involved with these organizations for uh, community work and for good, I started seeing a lot of very bad public servants. And I started telling people, I can do better than that, I can do better than that, until they started saying, well, why don't you run for something? And I'm like, you know what, I am gonna run for something. So my trek to my political experiences started more from volunteer work and uh, knowing that I, I had an ability to organize and to, to create some good. And I did it because I wanted to serve my community in a bigger way. And all yes, I did believe that I could do a better job than that bozo that was doing a terrible job.
0: So then when did you become mayor and make those things happen?
1: <laughs> in 2001. I think it was like November November of 2001, I ran my very first election for what was then called a the city alderman, which is like a city councilman. And I ran the very first time and I I, I won with a comfortable margin. And uh I was very happy. I, I really wanted to make an impact, but when you get in there and you start getting all these influences, the funny thing I will tell you, Pamela, that my first two years in office were confusing, were difficult. Uh I'll say they're unproductive by my standards, and I wasn't ready to do it again. I, I when, when my two-year term was up, I, I really didn't see any any sense in it because when I got there in 2001, and I was doing my first my first my first uh, stint as a, as a city alderman, you know, I would talk to everybody else who had more experience than I did in, in city government and governments, and all they would talk about is getting reelected. So the gold ring of success was about getting reelected, get reelected, get reelected. And, you know, I said, okay, I, I accepted that as, as I want to say as, as a as conventional wisdom that makes you a better public servant. So I ran a second time, and again, I was successful a second time. But I had, how do I put it? I wasn't satisfied. I wasn't happy with myself. And I want to say short into my second term, I I made a big decision. And the big decision was I wasn't going to worry about getting reelected. I was going to worry about leaving a mark, leaving a legacy, producing infrastructure and producing better ways of life for people to enjoy my community. And if that meant me doing something that was unpopular, that wouldn't get me reelected, I was okay with it. And I enjoyed my public service experience after that. I just, I let go. I really was flying with, like I say, I was was on the trapeze without a net, and I was doing as good as I possibly could with the best of intention, and it became a joy. It became a joy, and I ended up serving the city of Rio Grande City as an alderman, a city councilman, economic development president with director duties. I was even the interim city manager, and I was a mayor pro tem, and I was the mayor for Rio Grande City. I also, funny that you have this equipment here, I know about equipment, I know how to, about visuals because I also ran the, uh, that was called a PEG channel, public education and government channel. Uh, the late, uh, great, I love the guy, his name was Juan Perez, we called him cameraman, Johnny and I, we ran uh, RGCN12 for about three years and I did it all just through volunteer work just because I wanted to impact my community and, and do something that was uh, nice to look at, and that would that would create a, a, a good emotional experience for everybody as well as good infrastructure.
0: So it sounds like your father really did leave an impact on you, especially about <laughs> values and, and morals and all these virtues. You he know, sure did you, describing all this volunteerism. Um, and then during your time growing up, did you ever? You might have mentioned this earlier. You mentioned um, about you didn't want to be or no one really wants to grow up to be like their parents. Um, But during this time that, you know, you you ran, you're doing all this volunteer work and then you become in political office. Was there anything in particular that um, that changed your view? Do do you feel like your views maybe shifted from when you were growing up to then becoming politically involved?
1: I had such a joy it, it It was an adrenaline rush. sounds kind of weird, but it it, it was an adrenaline rush and a joy when I would see uh, a park being built because we didn't have a park system uh through, un, under our, my administration, we created the park system uh, we created a solid waste program. people take for granted you know you know those bins that you roll out and put in the street and then the truck comes to picks them up. going city didn 't have that uh we paved every every uh road in the city about 90 percent of them we built a water treatment plant that's going to satisfy the needs of Rio city probably for the next 15 years uh it was about accomplishments it was about leaving like i said the legacy is not a legacy of you know, let me beat my drum and have everybody pat my back quite on the contrary the legacy will be for others to judge even a library we didn't have a, a library of, of of reference that i could tell you and we created a library system and yes, it has all to do with my father and his teachings. And I want to tell you that I fought it every step of the way. I was young. I was I was energetic. I was stubborn. And I wasn't going to listen to what my dad said because he was old-fashioned, and, and I knew better because I was young. And the exuberance of young is, is great, but it doesn't give you a lot of, a lot of wisdom. And my father's determination to continue teaching me in spite of me was something I'm, I'm very grateful for. And, and in a lot of ways, I, yeah, I, I became him, which is you know, uh, the inspiration that I use to tell people, even to the point of being Republican, uh, because my dad was, was a Republican, and I understood later on, because we were business people, and we were people that, that didn't want government to overextend into our lives, give us the opportunity to create a better life, don't expect the government to create a better life for you because you're the one that can create a good life for yourself. So some of those values have to do everything to do with my father.
0: You mentioned a lot about the political stuff and and your family business. Is there still or was there a misconception about your family? Um, you know, I'm, I'm getting the impression that your family was a big deal in Rio Grand City or probably still is. Is there a misconception there? Maybe um, like a lot of people would say, well, you know, he was mayor and his is on the school board, like they're just power hungry. Oh,
1: no. Yeah, that, that absolutely, absolutely happened. Uh, At one point, I was the economic development president with director duties. I was the mayor, and my brother was the school board president. And yes, they absolutely said that. And that was just more of a circumstance of our hard work, our our dedication to our our community. And you go back and you look at those times in our community. I don't mind saying it now because I can go back and show you projects that, that I worked on that are there that are still serving the community. I don't care if it's a a water treatment plant or a wastewater collection system or if it's a park system. I mean, I can fit our roads that we paved under our administration or the schools that my brother built as a school board president. You can go and grab those and see those. But what I will tell you that around 2000 and I have to express this and I people listen to this and are thinking about running for and I still get people every once in a while young people will come to me and they say hey mayor I'm thinking of running you know what what advice do you give me that still happens and the first piece of advice that I give them is or I ask them is do you have your family support and if they say yes I say go for it if they say well you know my wife and I are talking about it I think it's okay don't do it because it'll uh create uh, uh, so much uh, difficult moments within your family if your family is not in it from day one, from day negative one. You have to have your family behind you 150,000%. And I mean everything from your you know, seven-year-old, if you have one, to your, to your 17-year-old, to your wife, has to be with you because the minute that you start having that uh, doubt, it creates a lot of problems in in your family and it will do that. Luckily, again, I'm going to tell you about my father's upbringing. My father raised me with a cast iron outer skin that I still have today. And I'm grateful for it because nothing that was ever said on social media ever affected me. And people say, oh, they say you're in the take and you're going to take in bribes. You know what? If you have the information, give it to the FBI. have a Texas Rangers come and look for me because you know what? If you have proof, bring it. If not, shut up. And 100% 100% of the time they had nothing because I know how I lived I know how I conducted myself I had a extremely high regard for community and extremely high regard for what's right in government and I think that legacy has followed me even today because I just had somebody on social media uh hey mayor you did a great job in Rio Grande City and and I appreciate everybody on social media who tells me that and I still have my detractors we always will but I want to tell you, I know how I lived. I know how I conducted myself. I know what I did and didn't do, so I don't worry about a thing. Every night, every night, my pillow is comfort and confidence and God's blessings that put me here today. So I have no issues with, with, my, with my run in, in government.
0: So do you think that your legacy and your family's legacy is important to remember?
1: Of course. Anybody who serves the public, serves them well. Legacy is, is an important part of a, of family and who, how they will be remembered. In fact, I've told people that I, I might have left water plants and, and I might have left parks and I might have left new streets, might have left uh, a library system, I might have left you know, a structure that had millions of dollars and purchased a uh, city hall in cash, which, which gonna City did. But the legacy you leave behind is, is the uh, hallmark that other generations after you can follow. It's a path. You cut it, you you created it. And if they wanna know how it's done, they don't have to go reinvent the wheel. They can find a wheel that worked once upon a time. And that's what a legacy is. It's a wheel that rolls beautifully across the landscape of your community. And it rolls with the intent of good. And that's why a legacy is important and needs to be uh, protected and encouraged. Like I say, when you get there, if you get there running for office, I don't care if it's for a judge or a school board member or a mayor like myself, uh, or, a sta- or, a, or a state representative or a congressman, if you do it with the utmost intent to create good and to le- leave more than you take because you will take nothing, uh, you will do a good job for, for your community. And that, that's one thing I think if you're going to get in the roles, especially city government, school boards run differently, but I know city government if you're gonna get in city government, and if you're gonna to go to Austin or, or to Washington and ask for help from your state representatives and from your congressmen for projects that you're working on because you need funding, uh, number one, the first thing you gotta ask yourself is don't expect the government to do for you. You gotta do for, your, you gotta do for yourself first. Don't expect the government to give you a, a, a blank check. That's not gonna happen. Do for yourself and walk in there with the attitude that I just need a little help is, is a very important thing. Uh, you know and secondly i will tell you that when you get in that role if you're a mayor a mayor pro tem or a city commissioner and you say well i gotta go you know they're working we hired lobbyists to go to austin to work on projects bull you get your butt to austin you go lobby for your own projects because that community is yours those lobbyists and and those consultants you're one of maybe a dozen but there's only one you and nobody's gonna have more passion and nobody's going to have more drive and dedication to make sure your community prospers than yourself. So make yourself known in the halls of Austin, Texas at the Capitol and Washington. And remember, those, my dad used to tell me those buildings don't belong to them. It belongs to the taxpayers of this country. And yes, we are taxpayers, so it belongs to us. So go out there and own it.
0: Is there anything else you'd like to to say about your father, your family, um, real grand city, any misconceptions over there? Like I said, I made a, mis- a misconception that everybody over there is a Republican.
1: Well, I thought your misconception was going to be that everybody wears a cowboy hat and it kind of looks like 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 a, like, a, like something out of a John Wayne movie, uh, which we do get pretty often. Um, I, w- I want to talk about the valley because you know something, that's what I'm passionate about. I keep in mind when I ran for Congress, I understood the value of, of a regional approach and how People look at us once we pass that checkpoint. Pamela, I, I work the areas of Central Texas extensively. I, I think myself and a, and a partner of mine out there named Wayne Layman, who was running for something. We, we touched on four thousand doors in that Central Texas area, and I understood really quickly how they view us, meaning us here in the Rio Grande Valley. And I want to encourage everybody who listens to this to be proud of where you're from, to be proud of the fact that you have extended families and you have you know, grandfathers and uncles and aunts that showed you a better way of doing things. You know, be part of the fact that we are Latinos, we are Mexican, we have the ability to communicate in two languages. My dad taught me to speak Spanish and I, as a young man, didn't want to learn. I thought era mejor English was better all the time, but que I tell you that my ability to speak cultura Spanish and my culture have served me as gold in my experiences. And what I said in a nutshell was that my cultural, my biculturalism is a part of of my Superman cape. And I want to encourage everybody in this valley to see if they have a bicultural, they could be something else. They could be uh, 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 Irish, French. They could be you know, uh, Filipino, Mexican, it doesn't matter, or all Filipino, whatever your ethnicity is, be proud of who you are, because when you walk into these important offices, I learned really quickly, Pamela, in Austin or Washington, if you walked in with confidence, and you walked in there with, with a sense of respect for the world and yourself, they will treat you as such, and I never, I could say, I do credit my father for giving me that ability because he would tell me early on he's like he said son sometimes all there is in this world is good people bad people dumb people and smart people and he broke it down that way and, and those words kind of would relive themselves in the back of my mind so i i just want to encourage everybody in this river valley that if you want to go become a fashion designer in new york city i mean i was in new york for the first time i had a stint over there i was the uh border culture Uh, community expert on a show called Border Lives, and I I did three amazing weeks talking about border affairs, border law enforcement, and and border communities. And uh, I was in New York City among all those different cultures, and I adapted extremely well. And some of the people that were there, part of the show, the casting director says, you adapted real good to New York. And I said, I will adapt anywhere because I am so proud of where I'm from. And one thing that I know is that the Rio Grande Valley is a special place and it provides us a wealth of, of knowledge and experience. The kind of experience now, because immigration is talked about so often, that is absolutely golden on so many different levels. So follow your, I don't know I don't want to say follow your dreams. No, 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 no. You pick your goals. Work hard for those goals and don't be unrealistic. If it means sacrifice, sacrifice. If it means a long marathon, Run that marathon, take every single step, and they will add up. Do not hold yourself back. Do not have fear. One thing I will tell you that I, once ex- I, I was once asked by somebody in Texas Tribune what you thought the greatest uh, uh, disadvantage somebody from the Valley had, and it had nothing to do with family or biculturalism. I think that too many of us in the Valley tend to be timid at times. We're timid. And here's what I want to tell everybody who's listening to this podcast about coming from the Valley. Being, I am a product of this Valley 100,000%. Every single bit of me, every word that comes out of me, every thought, every uh, uh, innovative idea I've ever had, I know came from my upbringing in, this com- in these communities. I want to ask you that you choose your goals. Make them big, make them bold, work hard, make no excuses, and work hard. Don't ever look back. And if I means going to New York City or going to Los Angeles, or going to Paris, France, or going to Brussels, whatever it is, you can do it with the gift that God gave you and the upbringing that this valley has also provided to you. So go after it, grab it. What are you waiting for?
0: At the Museum of South Texas History, that's one of the things that we really want um, people to know about is this museum really highlights the bicultural region one of the things that I like to say is we didn't cross the border. The border crossed us. Um, <laughs>
1: it, it's very true. I, I've used that very same line. I want to tell you that I'm not, a big, I'm not a big historian in our family, but one of my relatives is. And uh, they sent me a picture of my, I don't know, great-great-great-grandfather. And, yeah, he had a big old mustache the way I do. He had more hair than I do because I'm bald now because I'm the only one in my family that, that is that way. But he had a big mustache like mine because I, I, I sport a handlebar mustache uh, my grandfather the only picture that I've seen my great 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 grandfather he is uh, carrying something that looks like a, like a Winchester and he's got a side holster with 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 a pistol and wearing his boots and you know the sense of, of who he was and you know if that's who you are that's who you are and that's who I am and now I still walk around with my cowboy boots and my hat and my and my big buckles but that's who I am and sometimes, you know what, Pamela, it's easier to be somebody else than be who you are. I, I do want to say that, that you know, my wife, we've been married uh, 11 years now, she has given me a, a lot of inspiration to be myself. Because if anybody ever meets me or has seen me in a picture or seen me on television before, I got a lot going on. I got a big mustache, got a big beard, I have a bald head, I have funny glasses, I wear a hat, you know, I, I wear faded jeans that's who I am, and my, my wife encourages me every day to be more of myself, even to a point where sometimes I look at her and I say, "Should I just trim back the beard or should, should I trim back the mustache?" And she says, "That's you, that's you." So we all need that inspiration. We all need to have somebody in our lives that encourages us to be more of ourselves and because I'll tell you what the easiest thing to do in this world is not be yourself. conform if, if, you, if, if you're in the mold of, of that Conform person that you sense, that's fine. That's who you are. But if you're not, express yourself.
0: Well, thank you so much, Ruben, for participating in this uh, podcast, Stories from the Rio Grande. Don't forget at the Museum of South Texas History, we do have some collections here at the archives. So if you want to learn more about the region, definitely stop by. So thank you for listening. Bye-bye. Thank you. This episode was produced and edited by me, Pamela Morales. Song is Carpe Diem by Kevin McLeod. licensed under Creative Commons. Follow us on Anchor to hear more about stories from the Rio Grande and send your questions through the Anchor app. You can also subscribe to this podcast through the Apple Podcasts app or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you for listening to Most History, Stories from the Rio Grande.